through 24. If you're using the Pew Bible, that will be page uh, 1,083. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But who's, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the, the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because he keeps his commandment, commandments and does, those, and does those things that are pleasuring in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments and abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom has given us, or he has given us. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It is an exciting time in the life of this congregation. As I already mentioned, we welcome the Jenkins. We're glad that they're here. Uh, Philip actually has been coming in uh, this past week and has already begun work here, and we look forward to their work with our youth. Uh, our youth is a tremendous asset and a great resource in the life of this congregation. And we are thankful that they're willing to work with them. Look forward to the great good that will be done. Tonight, after services, 6th through 12th graders and their parents are invited to a welcome reception that will take place for the Jenkins so that they can get to know each other better. And so if you fall within that group of people, be sure and remember to bring finger foods tonight. Uh, drinks will be provided. You can bring desserts and finger foods and, and look forward to that time of getting to know Philip and Laura better. Also, as we think about next Sunday, it's exciting. It's one of those times that I think surely the majority and maybe everybody in the congregation uh, looks forward to fall focus. It's a time where for those 13 weeks, the congregation studies the same things on our Sunday morning adult Bible classes. And then, of course, we try on our time together in Sunday morning and sermons to study something that would complement that. And so uh, beginning next week, our fall focus will be pursuing God's heart. And the Bible classes will be studying about God's heart and what he hates out of Proverbs, the sixth chapter. And then in our time together in worship, we'll be talking about God's love and what God loves. And so when we think about God's heart, we want to love what God loves and we want to hate what God hates. And we look forward uh, to that study together. And no doubt, the more we know God, the greater we can live our lives. We will never live a life above our knowledge of God. 
And so we look forward to learning about God in, in depth as we think about his heart uh, for the next 13 weeks. Be prayerful about that. Be praying for your teachers as they prepare and be praying that as a congregation, we truly will know the heart of God better than we ever had, have and let that affect our life. Some of you are experiencing it right now, but I'd like, if you're not, for you to imagine for just a moment. You had a job that you really enjoyed and it brought in an income that provided for yourself and for your family. And for that, you were most grateful. But then one day, someone comes in to tell you that your job is no longer in existence. It's downsizing. It's the turn in the economy or whatever it might be. The bottom line is you don't have work. You want to work, but it's hard to find work. And you begin to search. And what you thought would never happen to you, because it just always seems to be other people, it happens to you. After a while, you sit down and you begin to look at the bills and the bank statements. And they're not equaling. And what you thought would never happen to you is happening. What are you going to do? This morning, we just had a contribution. And it's not something that's just a good idea from man. But it's something that is literally a command of God. The text has been capably read. I'd like to invite you into a study of this text to simply see what is God's will for those that are hurting this morning. Do you realize that God has a solution and a part of the solution is your brothers and sisters in Christ? And then we say, well, what are we supposed to do? I, I really hurt for those people that hurt, but what am I supposed to do about it? God says, I have your answer. I'm glad you hurt. Now, let me remind you, there's a solution to this. You know, the, the best known verse in all the Bible is John 3 and 16. And isn't it interesting that it's the very same writer who wrote 1 John 3 and 16. And in John 3 and 16, we see the reading, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, it's that kind of love that God has for the world. And now when we read over in 1 John 3 and 16, that love is referred to by the very same man again, except this time the man is much older. This time the man is, is writing as, as an older man who has loved God for a long time. He's loved Jesus Christ for a long time and he's loved his church for a long time. And so as an elderly man, he speaks gently and lovingly to the people that he loves. And he reminds them of God's love in the beginning of 3 and 16. By this, we know love because he laid down his life for us. Obvious, isn't it? How do you know God loves you? You look at the cross and you see God loves me. God allowed his son to die for me. Jesus loves me. Jesus died on the cross for me. Now there's two sentences in verse 16. Notice the second part of 16. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And so now he says, reminding us of God's love for us, that that is a model for us to live by. He says, we also 
previous sentence, like Jesus laid down his life, we also, and someone says, we ought to lay down our life for Jesus? Certainly, but that's not what he says. We ought to be willing to lay down our life for our brethren. He wants us to have as much willingness to sacrifice for each other as we have to sacrifice for him. Just as much as he sacrificed for us. Now that word ought, to me in the English, that loses some of its power because when I think of the word ought, I oftentimes think of a suggestion. You know, like I would tell you if you were going to buy a Mountain Dew in Mountain Juliet, you ought to go to the dollar store up here because it's the coldest Mountain Dews in all of Mountain Juliet. Now, that's a fact, but I'm suggesting, right? I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm just saying I know Mountain Dews, and I know where the coldest one is. You ought to go there if you want the coldest. But, but that's not the way ought is used in the Greek here. In, in the Greek, the word is strong. It, 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 it's a strong meaning. In other words, it's not just a suggestion. It's a debt. It's what you owe. And so he, he's teaching us we also ought in other words, we also owe the willingness to lay down our life for the brethren. Now, as we consider this, we think about the highest physical law. And, and one of the highest physical laws, if not the very highest, is self-preservation. But when we think spiritually, the highest law is self-sacrifice. Now, we see that Jesus, as he approached the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was that temptation to preserve his own comfort and his own life. Remember, he was human. It's not a sin to be tempted. But that's literally what he went through as he was going to the garden and he was begging God to let this cup pass from me. There was an aspect of preservation in that. But yet, he closed that prayer and he moved to the cross through self-sacrifice. Not my will, but your will be done. This morning, I need to realize that the plea that the Lord is making to us in the second part of this verse is to say, get beyond your human nature. Your human nature is going to say, well, I can't really take care of others. I mean, I've got to take care of my family. I mean, I, I couldn't possibly give like really generously because... I'd have to go to my savings account if I was going to give that much. And after all, I've got to take care of me. Which one's the Lord talking here? Preservation or sacrifice? A few weeks ago, we saw a valuable lesson when we studied the Good Samaritan. And we talked about several aspects that were good about the story. And one of the things that was good was the Lord's approach to a very general question that's abstract. The question was, who's my neighbor? And the Lord chose to answer that question by telling a story about a specific person with specific needs. Do you realize that that is exactly what John is doing here? As he takes his own teachings in verse 16 and says, now, let's stop being abstract about this because let's, let's think about this just a moment. In verse 16, if you lay down your life for the brethren. I know that in a sense, those things could be objective or concrete, but, but in a general way, 
it is easy for us to look at those things as very abstract. For example, surely every husband in this room would say, sure, I'd lay down my life for my wife. But will there be any man in this room that will be called upon to do that over their entire lifetime? And so because it's not a frequent principle, it becomes kind of abstract. You know, almost as if to say, sure, I have that much love, but really what meaning does it have? Now, I know if we were living in times of harsh persecution, it wouldn't be nearly as much abstract. But since we're not living at times like that, then we say, do you love the brethren? Oh, I'd lay down my life for, for the brethren. John, the elderly man that's challenging us to love, says, oh, really? Let's put that to a test. And by the way, brethren, that can be kind of abstract too, can't it? Love the brethren. You look to your left and your right and it becomes much more objective. You love that person sitting right beside you. Do you love the person sitting across the auditorium from you? Do you love each brother and sister? And so to leave the abstract behind and come down to details, to concrete principles that, that are lived out, we come to a challenging verse in verse 17. Look again at it. If, if you have your Bible open there, look, look at verse 17 as he says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother. See, now it's a single brother, and the brother is very specific. It's one in need. And he sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? And it's here that, that he gives us three principles, three conditions. And he says, if these three conditions exist, you're going to be showing love for the brethren. And the first one is, if you have the means... The second one is, if you have the means to fulfill your brother or sister's need, then third, don't shut up your heart. And you remember, all month long, as we have been studying about simple kindness and the love of God, we've talked about that kindness and love is not feeling for someone else. It is not kind to say, it really breaks my heart that they're going through that. And that's where I really think Satan tempts good people to just move on in their life as if they've done something because they say, oh, that just touches me that, that they're going through that. Friends, there's no difference in us and Satan if that's all we do. The Lord expects us to have a heart that feels, a heart that is sympathetic, a heart that, is, that, that has empathy that moves us into generous action. Mercy, grace. And when our heart does that, it becomes compassion. And so when we look at the three things that, that the Lord would require of us if, if we're going to prove our love for the brethren, He says, I want you to see what you have. And I want you to see someone else that's your brother or sister that doesn't have what you have and they need it. He says, now I want you to open up your heart. Don't shut it up. Open up your heart. And he closes that verse by saying, that's where 
a love that God designs abides. That kind of heart has a heart like God. You see, in 18, he says it a little more clearly. Look in 18, where again he calls them my little children. That's how I, you just got to imagine an elderly, uh, an elderly fellow, an older fellow there, and he, he's loved and he loves them. And you imagine him looking at his brothers and sisters that, that probably many of them he's brought to know the Lord. Many of them, maybe he was there when they were born and he's looking at them and he says in 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. How many times do we think or speak of the simple concept of true love? This morning, we had the opportunity, and we have it all the time, but this morning, congregationally wide, we placed an emphasis on the opportunity to prove true love. You say, well, what is true love? You see, there is uh, the idea of loving in word and tongue, and someone would say, well, surely that's good, because we might think that's to tell someone we love them, and, and that is good. But that's not what's being spoken of here, of where we just verbalize love. Here when he says love in word or in tongue, he's talking to the point that that would be the only thing that we would say or do. In other words, he illustrates it very clearly in James the second chapter. If you want to turn back just a few pages in your Bible to James the second chapter, it's about verse 15 is where we begin. It's 1073 on the Bibles that's there in your pew. And, and notice what he says in 15 of, of James the second chapter. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, you see that's need. Now the question is, what are we going to do about that need? 16, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. You see, that, those were words that sounds like there's a lot of love contained in those words. But notice how James finishes this. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The concept of love where we have and someone that's our brother and sister does not have and they need it and we shut up our heart of compassion, he says, that's not true love. It's the same principle that Jesus looked at the hypocrites and he says, they draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In other words, their heart was shut up. Do we really really love each other. If we do, generosity toward each other will be commonplace any time that there is a need that one of us has. I'd like to show you just in very quickly here, our time is, is expiring, but, but let's look at the last six verses in pairs and allow me to just mention something to you. Do you see there in 19 when we have true love's blessings? Notice in 19, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Are you assured that you're doing the right thing with your life and with the things that God gives you? The only way you can be assured of it is to do it the way God has taught you to do. Our heart, He teaches in this passage, can literally condemn us. Because our heart can tell us, well, I just, I just don't need to give. I just don't need to help them out. And literally, our heart condemns us in that. And so he says, be assured. What am I supposed to do? 
God's saying, do it my way. Be assured, my way is always best. Now, I think if you know this congregation very well, you know that what I'm about to say is not about the dollars. We don't talk a lot around here about giving because of budgets because the Bible doesn't talk about giving because of budgets. The Bible talks about giving because you trust God and because you love others. And as that plate was passed the second time this morning, and you didn't really know exactly what to do, and what you gave was less than what you think you ought to give, I want to challenge you to think about the assurance of God. When, you, when that plate was passed and you're sitting there thinking, I'm not sure what I should do. There's a box out in the foyer every week, every day. It's in the middle of the foyer. It's a wooden box. It's about the 1 John 3.16 ministry. There are those of you that give to that every week. I want to encourage you to be assured that generosity is true love. And less than generosity when we know that a brother or sister has need is not true love. Now, please get this. We can be assured of that. There's no doubt about that. Now, notice the second blessing that comes from it. Look, look at the next two verses, 21 and 22. Again, he's talking about whether or not in 21 our heart's going to condemn us. And, and if it does not condemn us, in other words, if we've done the right thing... We have confidence towards God. And in 22, notice what that confidence does. And whatever we ask, we may receive from Him because we keep His commandments. Do you realize what he's saying here? We can ask God for more because we're people that give to people. When is the last time you asked God for more because you wanted to be able to give more? God doesn't mind you testing Him. If you've never done something like this in your life, I challenge you to spend the next two weeks or, or the next month and you make an agreement with God. You pray every day, God, anything extra that you can give me this month, I will give it all to the 1 John 3, 17 fund. 16 and 17. You have enough faith to pray it? And do you have enough courage and commitment to keep it whenever God dumps an extra three, four, five, six, seven thousand in your lap? Because God can get His help to the people who needs it. He's just got to find the conduit. He just needs to find the people that will say, Lord, I really wanted to help the people, but I didn't feel like I had as much as what I needed. Lord, I'm asking you. I'm asking you, will you give to me so that I can even do more improving my love for others because I want them helped. But then finally, under this blessings that come from true love, in 23 and 24, it really comes down to that at the end of 23, it's the second greatest commandment, to love one another. And then in 24, he says, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. Now, what does he mean, he who keeps his commandments? The commandments that John is talking about right here, now it would be any commandments, but specifically the ones he's talking about right now is how we're going to serve generously those who are in need with what we have. And so he's walked through this in a beautiful fashion for about eight or nine verses, and now he says, it's this simple. Do you want God and God's love abiding in you? Keep these commandments. 
to see someone wondering if they're going to be able to keep their house. And to sit among brothers and sisters has a house and extra. God, what do you want us to do? He says, it's real simple. I want you to fulfill their needs. I've given it to you for you to prove my love. Just before we sing the song of encouragement, I want to tell you a story I heard just this past week that shows the power of God's love. My father-in-law and Andrew Phillips' father just got back from Ukraine. They worked in the Ukrainian Bible Institute there, teaching and preaching. And while they were there in this building that, that houses, there's also other tenants inside this building. And they were told this story. When the school first moved there, there was an older couple that hated Christians. And so their desire was to drive the school away so that they wouldn't be neighbors with a, a preaching school. And so they began to take spray paint, these, this older couple, and they would vandalize the school. And they would, they would paint sentences and words that were horrible. They would take their human feces and they would spread it throughout the walls of their school building. And the director of the school would come in for chapel each of those days and he would talk to the students and they would read passages about turning the other cheek and forgiving. And they would talk about that the only answer for these people is the Lord and let's pray. Every day they prayed for their neighbors. And this went on for some time. And finally, the elderly man went to the hospital. They went to visit him. They went to his wife's house and asked what they could do. And they started building a relationship with them. The man actually got well. And the relationship continued to grow stronger. And later, they were baptized into Christ. Now both of them have deceased. Why do you believe they're saved today? Was it only because Jesus died on the cross for them? Or was it also because God's people decided to show the love of Christ too? In the context of this lesson, allow me to say this. The Lord dying on the cross is usually not enough. If people are going to know God, they have to see the love of God through His people. And I hope that every member in this congregation that's hurting knows God better than they ever have because of the generosity of His people. If you don't know God, we want you to. There's no blessing like knowing God. If you're ready to be saved this morning, you want to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, we'd love to assist you with that. If you've been baptized into Christ and you've lost the way, 
know that there's a God who loves you and wants you to come home. And there's a church family that wants to encourage you. Whatever we can do to help you, come as we stand, as we sing.